It is Thursday, September 2nd. How are you? It's a lovely evening here in Salford. Lovely and bright and sunny as I speak with you. It's uh, exactly five o'clock. The Richie Allen Show is live as usual. If you'd like to speak to me, do so through richieallen.co.uk where it says comment live at the top of the page. You can have your say on the things being discussed on your programme this afternoon. Broadcasting information the mainstream media won't touch. This is your Richie Allen Show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host... Richie Allen. Now, Christopher Monkton hasn't been on the programme for ages. I like Christopher. He's a former Conservative Party advisor, a former leader of UKIP, and he is a noted climate change sceptic. Christopher Lord Monkton of Brenchley will be on the programme at around about 5.30. A little bit earlier, hopefully, because we've lots to talk about. Coming up in the second hour, live from America's West Coast, it is the GP turned natural health doctor as the terrific Dr. Rima Labo. So much to talk about with Rima, including the United States FDA decision to go after ivermectin as a treatment for COVID-19. So much to talk about today. So much to talk about in so little time. This is, of course, your Richie Allen radio show with the BBG. Me, that's the one... Have you come across it yet? Have you? Have you? Have you gotten or come across? Have you come down with the variant yet? Have you got the variant yet? Because there's more talk today of the Moo variant, which apparently is going to bring the country to a standstill unless we stop it. I don't know. Crazy, crazy day today. Did you see Dominic Rabb, the foreign secretary in Qatar, speaking to emirs there and dignitaries there, talking about the Taliban. What's going to be done with the Taliban? And the hopelessly inept, feck-witted, Dominic Rabb said, we must have talks with the Taliban, but he said we, we can't recognise them. What kind of fuckery is this? No idea. I have no idea. That's what he said. Okay, Abdul. I don't recognise your legitimacy whatsoever. Now, can you get your new Minister for Transport to help with the evacuations? Can you? Can you, Abdul? Now, just so we're clear, I'm on a diplomatic mission from Her Majesty's Government in the UK, and I'm speaking to you because you've taken over the country, you mad beheading lunatics, but I don't recognise you. Help us out here, Abdul, even though I don't recognise your legitimacy. Dominic Rabb, thick as mince, thick as pig shit. If you've ever been on a farm, you will know that pig shit, well, it has a, a higher viscosity than other farmyard animals' poo. You might know that. Thick as mince. He does have a black belt in karate. Karate, does Dominic Rabb. So when he's not acting the fool on the telly and saying that he'll be speaking to people that he doesn't recognise... He spends his days waxing on and waxing off and painting the fence and sanding the floor. Dominic Rab. <laughs> Dominic Rab. You dipstick. Yes, absolutely. Please help us get these people. I don't recognise you, 
Please help us get these people out of Kabul. Now, you know that yesterday Ofcom, now Ofcom regulates the media here in the United Kingdom, in Blighty. Ofcom said that Piers Morgan, when he was on Good Morning Britain, that he had the right to say that he didn't believe the Sussexes. That's Prince Harry, Harry Hewitt, and and Meghan Markle. He didn't believe them when they said all these nasty things about the royal family. Now, Morgan left GMB when his boss asked him to apologise to Meghan Markle for saying he thought that she was full of shite. He used other words, of course. Now, last night, as he was heading off to an awards programme, Morgan was gloating. He was in typical form. This is of interest to us. Let's have a listen to what he told the press outside his domicile. Today, Ofcom has come out and emphatically endorsed my right... Uh, to not believe what the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were saying. And and I'm delighted that they've actually recognised what I said five months ago, which is actually in a democracy. We have a thing called free speech and freedom of expression, and you're allowed to have an opinion, even if Meghan and Harry in their California mansion don't like it. This is a landmark ruling by Ofcom today. This is Ofcom saying I and any other broadcaster is entitled to say to a public figure, I don't believe you. Because if they'd gone the other way and said I had to believe Meghan Markle, even when she was lying, where does that leave us with government ministers? Yeah. Very important we we hear again what Morgan said there. That he has the right to say that he doesn't believe public figures. The mansion don't like it. This is a landmark yeah. ruling by Ofcom today. This is Ofcom saying... I, and any other broadcaster, is entitled to say to a public figure, I don't believe you. Wow, that's very important. I'm entitled to say to a public figure that I don't believe you. Because if they'd gone the other way and said I had to believe Meghan Markle, even when she was lying, where does that leave us with government ministers who I was challenging during the pandemic? If they made claims, do I have to believe them? But I think the Duke and Duchess of Sussex should also reflect on this, and they should work out whether it is fair of them to spray-gun the British royal family with all these lurid allegations without producing a shred of evidence. Five months later, there is no evidence for any of their allegations. And I'm not saying they didn't happen. I'm just saying, put up or shut up. I've had lots of offers, and they've accelerated in the last uh, 10 hours, as you can imagine. And I will take my free speech campaign around the world. Free speech campaign. And uh, all I require is to have an employer who believes in it as passionately as I do. You know where this is going, don't you? Because free speech matters. Matters. Freedom of expression matters. 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 We live in a democracy. Democracy. It matters that you're allowed to have an opinion in this country. The woke brigade has spent the... Yeah, yeah, the woke brigade is going against it. What was that again? Because free speech matters. Freedom of expression matters. We live in a democracy. It matters that you're allowed to have an opinion in this country. And it's important that you be allowed to tell public officials that you don't believe them. Here's Piers Morgan from his time on Good Morning Britain only this year, speaking with Esther Ranson and some professor from Imperial College in London. Piers Take it away. I don't want to prosecute people who don't want to have a vaccination. We're not that kind of country. Uh, However, However. I can see the really damaging influence 
of high-profile people propagating completely false information about the safety of these vaccinations and being believed and retweeted and so on. Ah, so he gets to disbelieve a public official, but you don't. Free speech matters when he disbelieves somebody in the public eye, but when you say, I don't believe the vaccines are safe, well, you should be banned. And there may be a case for those people in that particular instance yeah. that there should be some form of regulatory <laughs> uh, interference with them Ooh. to stop them doing this because the platforms, sadly, you never. like Twitter, Facebook, so we know are too lax at this at the moment and yeah. it will cost lives. Yeah. Hypocrite anyone? He would go further. If you don't want to have it, fine, but you're not allowed to fly because why sure. should other countries take you if you haven't had the vaccine? Yep. Yeah. If you disbelieve the public officials who tell you the vaccines are safe, you shouldn't be allowed to fly. And well, other countries might all make that about it. And anyway. I would go further and say, actually, OK, then you sign a waiver that if you don't have the vaccine and you get COVID, you don't get NHS treatment. Ah. Because free speech matters. Ah. Freedom of expression matters. Ah. We live in a democracy. It matters that you're allowed to have an opinion in this country. As long as they agree with Piers Morgan, a dreadful broadcaster, talentless in the extreme. You want to see who Piers Morgan is? Look at him on Have I Got News For You about 20 years ago. Dreadful man. His wife was on Good Morning Britain's this morning, another dreadful human being, Celia Walden hawking her new book. Let me tell you, dear listener, if you got a 100,000 monkeys and a 100,000 typewriters and you broke the fingers of the monkeys and took all the ink out of the typewriters, they'd write a more interesting book than Celia Walden. And I speak from experience. I had the misfortune of taking one of her books on a, on a summer holiday a couple of years ago. Dreadful. Morgan is vile. But look, I don't need to over-egg that pudding. Although I do like to over-egg the puddings every now and then. Piers Morgan Dell. You dipstick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, it is exactly ten minutes past five. What a rotten little man he is. Well, they were lying through their teeth. Very difficult if you can't pronounce your THs. They were lying through their teeth about uh, long COVID being a threat to the kiddies. Monstrous lies. Now, you and I knew that. We discussed it. We knew that long COVID was a massive lie. Remember long COVID? Man Hancock's long COVID. Yeah. That was my finest moment of that in the editing suite. Long COVID, Matt Hancock introduced it bullshit. COVID is a mild respiratory illness. You get it. You have a tickle in the throat, tickle on the tum. Down in Tickle Town, you have a sneeze or three, snotty, hanky, right as rain for the majority. If you have diabetes, heart problems, obesity, hypertension, very old age, it could do you in. But for everybody else, no big deal. I think I said the day they, they, they announced long COVID was a thing when they said long COVID. I, I believed that it was to scare the living piss out of people so they would have the dodgy jabs. That was my opinion. Long COVID. Let's have a listen to Callum Semple. This is true, by the way. They've, 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 they've admitted it, that it's bullshit. Imperial College London produced a study that said long COVID doesn't really exist. It's been greatly over-exaggerated. That was their uh, summing up. Greatly exaggerated. Their own term. The threat of long COVID to children. 
Bullspit. Very important now. A guy called Callum Semple from SAGE. SAGE is the group of witch doctors that tells the government to lock down the country, ruin people's lives and all the rest of it. This guy is a Liverpool University professor, kidneys medicine. He was on Sky Today. The presenter wanted to talk about long COVID in relation, in relation to jabbing kiddies 12 and over because the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation has yet to say whether the kiddies aged 12 and over will get the jab. Of course, they will recommend it for kiddies. It's very contentious, this. So she brings on Callum Semple from Sage about the kids being jabbed. She first asked him about heart inflammation in kids who have had the jabs in the United States and elsewhere, the myocarditis. This is what Callum Semple had to say. There's a very rare risk. It's about one in 250,000 of inflammation of the heart and the lining around the heart that appears to be more common in younger adults. And the concern here is that it might be slightly more common even again in children where they to receive two doses. This inflammation of the heart and the lining around it appears to occur more more commonly amongst younger men and with the second dose. So it is possible that a middle ground could be found here where uh, perhaps only one dose is given rather than two. It must be remembered, though, that children are very, very low risk of acute COVID. And indeed, there's strong data now quantifying the risk of long COVID in children, showing that it's actually much less common than previously thought. Than previously thought. When they told you all those lies about long COVID being a big thing for children, they knew they were lying. They had no data, no evidence. They didn't even have circumstantial evidence. They didn't even have anecdotal evidence. The lying bastards were being typical. They were bullshitting to scare you into having the jab. Oh yeah, yeah, long COVID, yeah. It's nonsense. The presenter's not too happy about that, so uh, uh, this guy Callum Semple, he's not supposed to be saying these things, you know? She asks him a question, I do believe. It's a good good bit of news, that, isn't it, that came out of that report today. Yeah, she didn't sound very enthused about it, did she? That it's a good bit of news that long COVID is bullshit, basically. It's not a good bit of news. It's groundbreaking. Not for you, not for me, because we knew it, but for the rest of the plebs, for the rest of the confused who have bought into this crap for the last 18 months. They've been told that long COVID is horse shit. She doesn't sound too happy about it. It's a good good bit of news, that, isn't it, that came out (laughs) of that report today. Um, It's so good I would be phoning Cool and the gang and asking them to regale me with celebration down the Skype line, live on Sky News. She didn't sound so happy about it. The vaccines minister within the last hour to say that 50% of those 16 and up have had their first jab now. Um, If we look at those who've had infections, those who've had their first jab, what proportion do you estimate of schoolgoers at the moment have some kind of immunity? It's it's very hard for me to guess. It's a lot lower than I think some people think. I think popularly people were talking about three quarters, but uh, I was hearing it's more like a third of children to a quarter of children have had 
exposure within the community. And that exposure will give them very strong protection for many, many years against severe disease. That's really good evidence has come out of uh, Israel recently that in fact, infection with wild type Delta in a young population, provided you have done well from that in that wild type infection, that actually gives you very strong immunity from subsequent infection. Mm. He's dropping a few truth bombs here, Callum Semper. I don't know if he had a couple of whiskeys before going on, but but he's actually dropping a few truth bombs that this so-called Delta, highly transmissible variant, doesn't do anything to the kiddies either. This guy must have had a few sherbets before going live. I've never done it myself now. Infection. And, and so... Uh, if you are young and you have no risk factors, yeah. therefore your chances of being harmed of the, by the virus are indeed incredibly low. Yeah. And as somebody who treats children, could you talk us through some of the complications that do arise, even if it is rare, in children who contract COVID? Yeah, she's really reaching there, isn't she? Desperate for him to say something about the kiddies being under some sort of threat from COVID. She's desperate for him to say... What does he say? The, the, the kind of complications that have been described three months after having a test positive COVID is it's headaches, it's lethargy, uh, and some children are having a uh, cough and occasional wheeze. Right. But what was really interesting about this result, uh, the study that came out of UCL and uh, collaborators throughout the United Kingdom. You ready? Here's another truth bomb that Sky News is not happy about. Wait till you hear what he says now. Was actually the high level of symptoms in the normal population. Uh, in fact, one third of the teenagers were found to have lethargy without COVID. So one third of the teenagers were found to have lethargy without COVID. To have lethargy without COVID. Yeah. So in fact, what was confusing the situation is that actually a lot of ch a lot of apparently normal children will report symptoms some of the time which are not related to COVID. <laughs> But in the, in the population where you have COVID circulating, these common symptoms are misattributed to COVID. They're not misattributed to COVID. Your lying mates on the SAGE committee, Callum. Callum must have been off of his trolley when he was on Sky News this afternoon. Oh, he must have been knocking back a little bit of grandma's cough medicine because he's just telling the truth. Misattributed it. Misattributed my big hairy arse. They were doing it deliberately, lying about coughs and wheezes and saying that they were COVID when the kid never had COVID. Liars. And this has led to gross overestimates. Gross overestimates of long COVID. Of long COVID. Get them off. In the gallery, they're screaming at Laura Houston, I think, Sarah Houston. Get them off, Sarah. Sarah, get them off. If you don't get them off, you're fired, Sarah. Get him off. Get him off the air! So good research conducted by Professor Sir Terence Stevenson <laughs> in UCL with his collaborators. Yeah, he's just basically said the University College London study, the exhaustive study that came back with the result that long COVID is horse shit and that there was a lot of misattributing going on. He just came on and said, yeah, it's all true. We were lying through our teeth. Wunderbar. Jean Ann, my great friend and advisor, often advisor, is in Connemara on the west coast of Ireland and reminds me that Piers Morgan, the dipstick, uh, did have COVID, didn't he, recently? And didn't he have COVID after he had been double jabbed? And rather than say, Jesus, there's something a bit strange about that, uh, he said that, oh, I would have been worse if I hadn't had the jabs. 
Yeah. I don't believe that Piers Morgan misunderstands the situation. He's a liar. He knows what it is that he does, and he does it anyway. He does it for the spondulics, doesn't he? Climate change is all over the news this afternoon. They sweep their mess under the carpet for our generation to clean up and solve. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. How dare you? Oh, yes. Playing all the hits today. That little bollocks is planning on going to Glasgow, by the way. I hope they haggis the bejesus out of her at the airport. Although she won't fly in, will she? She'll, she'll, she'll come in in a catamaran, will she? That's powered by her own farts, more than likely. Yeah. Anyway, New York is under 25 feet of water today. And Dennis Quaid has fucked off to Malibu Beach, California. Flash floods, people have died. That's not funny, by the way. Uh, be under no illusion, says Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader. Be under no illusion that this is climate change. Global warming is upon us. When you get two record rainfalls in a week, it's not just coincidence. Not a coincidence. When you get all the changes that we have seen in weather, that's not a coincidence. Global warming is upon us, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And worse. Unless we do something about it. And that's why it's so imperative to pass the two bills, the infrastructure bill and the budget reconciliation bill. The second deals with climate change and will reduce the amount of carbon we've put in the atmosphere by 50 percent by night 2030. The first bill deals with infrastructure and built into that infrastructure is something I have started fostering with Sandy. That we don't just build infrastructure, but we build resilient infrastructure. So when these floods or fires or anything else occurs, they are much more resistant. Why don't you just build a great big ark? Woe betide us if we don't do something about it. Woe is us if we don't recognize these changes are due to climate change. Woe is us if we don't do something about it quickly, both in building resilient infrastructure and going to clean power, whether it's in homes, in electricity, in transportation, to stop the global warming or at least reduce its awful effects on this country. We need to stop, or if we can't stop it, marginally disrupt the global warming that's coming to kill us all. That was a press conference where Bill de Blasio, the guy who said you can't participate in New York society unless you're jabbed, they attended that press conference to talk about the New York floods. Uh, people have died. That That isn't funny. I don't laugh at that. Of course I don't. I laugh at the as them attributing what has happened to, to climate change, because that is horse manure, there is no evidence. We will talk with Christopher Monckton, hopefully shortly, who is a noted climate change sceptic. He's got plenty to say, no doubt about that. You are commenting, aren't you, on richieallen.co.uk, where it says, where it says comment live at the top of the page. That's where to do it. Hi to Charlie Stevenson, hi to Faisal, hi to Martin. 
Hi to John Taylor. Hi to Caroline Feely. How you doing, Caroline? How you doing, Lucy? Lucy says the presenters are bought and paid for, Richie. They have no worries about spouting the agenda of the powers that be. I don't think any of them have an original thought. As long as the bank account is very healthy... Well, happy days, they don't care, says Lucy. I think that's true for some, Lucy. Others might actually believe it. I don't know. They might do. You know, you've got to leave some room for that. Hi to Column in Dublin to Mike Rowcock. Do interact with one another there. Mike is in County Down. How you doing, Mike? I'm not going to do the accent because I can't do the accent. I make a, I make an Egypt to myself. Hi to Craig. How you doing, Craig? Uh, don't often, I don't often get to read the comments on the articles during the day when I post an article. But I, I did today, I had a look around some of the articles to see what sort of comments were were there. And Craig, you write some insightful and well thought out things, my friend. Thought I'd say that to you. I, I, might, I might have actually typed that today, but I didn't get the chance. Hi to William Henderson, to Joe Public, to Richard Sunday. How you doing, Richard? To Gail as well. RichieAllen.co.uk, the website, and it's at the top of the page. So support your show. Right next to that is Comment Live. Do that. Do it to me. Talk to me. Dr. Rima Labo will be on this programme in hour two. She's terrific. Before that, it's been ages. Christopher Moncton, Lord Moncton of Brenchley. Of Brenchley. Every time I see Christopher's name on the on, on the newspaper, I, I, I read his name in the voice of recent Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko. Moncton of Brenchley. That's what I hear anyway. This is Ace and a song called How Long, your Richie Allen radio show, live from Salford. There's nothing like it. You're welcome to it. How you doing? Yeah, if you're of a certain vintage, you will remember Ace and How Long, 27 minutes past the hour. The Richie Allen Show, live from Salford, the world's most listened to independent news radio show. Can't wait to speak with uh, my next guest. It's been a while. Very fond of him. Before we say hello to him, again today, talk radio, particularly talk radio and BBC Radio 5 Live, people expressing their concern that Scotland plans to introduce so-called vaccine passports for people attending indoor and outdoor events. The UK Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, announced, didn't he, before the summer, that from the end of this month, people attending nightclubs would want vaccine passports, would need to prove they'd been double jabbed. Don't forget, people like former Supreme Court Justice Jonathan Sumption, Francis Hoare, the barrister, they've said this is a liberal, it's authoritarian, it's terrible, it has the reek of era papira bitter. Let's welcome back to the programme an old friend, once a one-time advisor to the Conservative Party, one-time UKIP leader, he is a noted climate change sceptic. Welcome back, Lord Christopher Moncton. How are you? Well, Richie, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for doing it today. I really appreciate it. Before we talk about your thoughts, and it's great, you know, when I asked you to come on today, I should have been thinking about Ivermectin. I was. I read the stories from the FDA this morning. And I, I'm so glad that I thought of you for, for, for the vaccine passports, because we can also talk about ivermectin. But as far as vaccine passports go, well, it's dystopian, to say the least. That's my opinion. How do you see it, Christopher? Well, what has happened is that governments are beginning to panic. And they're panicking particularly in Britain because suddenly they thought it was all over and then bang, up go the case numbers. We've now got the third highest number of daily cases in the world 
uh, it's 30,000 plus new cases every day. And likewise, the deaths are beginning to rise. Yesterday, there were 207 deaths. Now, some of those were carried, carried over from the bank holiday weekend. But even so, this is becoming a serious pandemic again. And it's becoming serious because the vaccines have, in one respect, failed. They don't provide full protection against transmission. They do reduce the risk of um, catching it and passing it on, if you combine the two risks together, by about sort of uh, threefold. So it's certainly worth having. And they reduce the risk of serious outcomes if you do become infected by about 20 to 30 fold. Uh, there's been some very good research done on this in the States now. So we know the vaccines are very good at stopping individual people from getting harmful outcomes, but they don't stop it altogether. And they don't stop transmission sufficiently to prevent these very high new case numbers coming about, even in countries like Britain, with a very high percentage of the, of the population vaccinated. And the trouble with government policy in many countries around the world, and particularly in Britain, which has a more than usually scientifically illiterate governing class, is that their approach to COVID was a one-trick pony. It was the vaccines or bust. And then when the vaccines didn't work because a new variant came along and I had told the health minister this time last year that a new variant would come along and the vaccines wouldn't cope with it and you needed to have other approaches. They didn't examine the other approaches properly. And as a result, they're stuck with the vaccine and only the vaccine and therefore their only way of trying to improve the rapidly deteriorating position is to say, well, we must have more of the vaccine that's failed because maybe if we can just get a few more people vaccinated, that will get us to herd immunity. Well, no, it won't because the vaccines are not. And we know this now. And there was a paper that came out just last week saying so. In fact, it's one of a series of recent papers admitting that with these vaccines, you can't get herd immunity against this Delta Indian variant of the virus. So the question then is what should governments be doing instead of trying to shut down the freedoms that we in the West have until now been able to take for granted by saying, well, we're going to have to make you have effectively an identity card, a vaccine passport to show that you've been a goody two shoes and had your vaccine. Yeah. Now, there's no point in doing that because the vaccine, even if you get it, doesn't give you or those around you the full protection that had at first been hoped. Now, they know this, so why are they pushing it? They know what they're you know. They're pushing it because they haven't got anything else and they're terrified of the way the numbers are rising. Can I, can so I come in just I briefly, Christopher? Can I, come in, can I come in briefly? I've got to say this because um, you won't know this because you've got better things to do with your time than listen to me. I'm no COVID denier. I think I may have had it last year and it was a nasty dose, to say the least. So yeah. I, I, I take the virus as, as, as a virus. 
But but the, the the case numbers, as Carl Hennigan from Oxford University told Julia Hartley Brewer today, this yeah. obsession with case numbers is foolish because most of those cases don't become um, sick people. And even those who do die, and that's no joke. I mean, I accept it's not fun when people die. We are assigning the death certificate as having died within 28 days of testing positive for COVID-19. So we've got to take even the death numbers with a pinch of salt to some degree and keep in mind that the cases, cases don't necessarily mean sick people. And again, I want to reiterate, I don't dismiss COVID out of hand as an illness. I'm prepared to accept that it's genuine. So we get too kind of hung up on the cases when most cases don't become ill. Well, I think the important thing really is that uh, even though most cases don't uh, become seriously ill, a lot of them do become quite ill. And the fact is, if you're getting 200 deaths a day, which is where we're going, if this carries on just in the UK alone, you know, that that mounts up. You're then looking at 70,000 deaths a year. I mean, this is, you know, it's a, it's a serious number of people dying, given that the total number of people who die in the average year from all respiratory diseases, that's not just flu, but all the others as well, in a bad year is 50,000. So if you're adding another 70,000 on top of that, that's kind of more than bad news. So let us first of all be clear that the government is right to be worried about the way the figures are going. That much we must grant them. Do you believe them, sorry Christopher, do you believe them when they say that flu disappeared last year? Because I don't believe that. And I believe that some of the COVID fatalities or people who have been certified as having died of COVID may very well have died of other respiratory illnesses. Now, I'm not alone in thinking that. Far greater people than me. It doesn't really matter. Well, it does, of course, because as you said, a lot of people die every year from flu. See, I, I, do, I do this on the figures. And up until now, in the UK, there have been 170,000 deaths, which, according to the death certificate, according. Were, were, had, had COVID as one of the contributory causes. They admit to 157,000, and there are another 13,000 that weren't marked down to COVID during the first wave because they didn't know how to test it at that time. But you can tell from the excess death figures how many there were. Now, 170,000 people dying in you know, one and a half years, 19 months since this pandemic began, is a considerable, it's about a doubling of a bad year's deaths from all respiratory causes. And so we don't have to, to, you know, split it down too carefully between COVID and flu and everything else. The fact is you've still had, and COVID is clearly the reason why you've had it, a doubling of the total respiratory disease deaths in a bad year. Now, you read the Telegraph. Hang on, hang on. I did the figures yesterday. I know know you do. And and look, I know you're a bright guy and I know you're honest and I know what you're telling me is what you believe. But I know you read the Telegraph. The Telegraph did a fantastic expose only uh, three or four weeks ago that said that at least one third last year of hospitalizations that were attributed to COVID-19 
were in fact incorrect, that the people had yeah. been admitted that's to hospital why, with something that's why else. what I do yeah. is to go for the things. If somebody dies, you kind of know they've died. Yeah, yeah. And if they've died of a respiratory disease, you know they've died of a respiratory disease. Yeah. And it doesn't very much matter whether it was COVID or another respiratory disease. No, but it does if matter if they had a heart attack. It does matter if they had a heart attack or diabetes. If the effect of COVID has been to double the rate of death from respiratory disease in a bad year, so you go from 50,000, which is a pretty bad year for respiratory diseases, that was 2015 as a good sort of benchmark, and then suddenly you've got uh, you know, 170,000 over 19 months, which is about 110,000 over a year, then that is a bad outcome. And there's no point in pretending otherwise. I'm not. What and I'm saying is, if I can come back in, if I can come back in. And if the figures yeah, I'll come back in in a suggest second. that they're now going to go up from an additional 50,000 deaths per year to an additional 70,000 deaths per year, even though there's a vaccine in place, yeah. then clearly one has to have some other method of dealing with the problem of respiratory disease deaths in countries like Britain. Before we move on, because there's lots to talk about between now and six, Christopher Monckton is our guest, former advisor to the Conservative Party, uh, former, of course, UKIP leader and a noted climate change sceptic. has done terrific work debunking the, the notion of climate change. Before we move on to Ivermectin and why the health authorities in this country and the US and Ireland, of course, my own country, are demonising ivermectin, and I know you've got thoughts on that. What I wanted to point out is, far more learned men than me, and you know some of these people, Oxford University, Cambridge, they have said, and we go back to the Telegraph and the Times last year, said that many thousands of people were given a death certificate that said they had died of COVID, when in fact... It, it wasn't proven remotely I that know, COVID was the death. That's why I don't believe the, no, I don't believe the number 170,000. It doesn't matter. But it does, Christopher. Of course it matters. Between COVID and other respiratory diseases, we do know the number of deaths from respiratory diseases of all causes. And it is double what it would normally be. And the main reason why it's double what it would normally be is COVID. That is bad enough in itself to justify having a slightly more sophisticated plan for dealing with this than vaccines, which in the one respect that would have been useful, have proven to fail. They, they don't sufficiently prevent transmission of the new variant. No, they don't. No. So we therefore need a strategy for dealing with this that doesn't depend just on this one trick pony of the partly failed vaccine. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you agree that it is, I'm not putting words in your mouth because you didn't say tyrannical, but it is tyrannical to deprive people of their liberty, of their right to earn money, and to try to coerce them to taking a treatment that yeah. they don't trust. It's it tyrannical. Is. But therefore, totally what wrong, to yeah. is to try to put forward to the you know, governments that have virtually no scientific understanding. I mean, it's a terrible mistake that so many of our civil service and so many of our ministers have absolutely no scientific knowledge. But here is what a scientist would do. He would look at another refractory disease that suddenly started killing people and ended up killing 50 million, and that was HIV. Now, how was that 
eventually treated so as to make it no longer the threat to mankind that once it was. Antiretroviral drugs. The answer drugs, was, yeah. let me describe this, yeah. they produced a series of different treatments, each of which on its own fell below the threshold for statistical significance in making an improvement. But if you put them all together and multiply the improvements together, then you get over the 50% reduction that gives you a, a statistical significance, and then they were able to treat HIV. Now, exactly the same thing has been proven recently to work with the coronavirus. And what you do is there's a staged treatment protocol devised by Dr. Peter McCulloch at Texas A&M University, who testified in front of the Texas State Senate about it a month ago, which is how I came across it. And I wrote to him and I said, this is really fascinating. I've read your protocol. I've summarized it in one page because I'm about to brief ministers on it. And I said, it looks to me like a very intelligent approach because I understood the underlying mathematics probably better even than he did. Because if you have, shall we say, a series of half a dozen different treatments, and you'll be pleased to hear that ivermectin is one of those that's on the list for his protocol, each of which, shall we say, reduces the risk of severe outcomes by only 30%. Well, if you've got just two of those, you, you reduce the risk by just below 50, just above 50%. With three, it's two thirds. With four, it's four-fifths, and with five, it's five-sixths. And that's what he's done. He's put these things in combination. He said, if you take these things, once you end up in hospital, you can get rid of it. And I then said to him, well, I think we should add what's called a prophylactic or preventative stage so that people take various steps to minimize their risk of getting ill with COVID before they even get near a hospital. Yeah. And I suggested what that stage should contain. I sent it to him and said, could you please you know, check this and approve it. He added one more medication to the preventative stage and then he sent it back to me as the approved thing. And I've got this now. It's all on one page. And if that protocol is followed, which is as cheap as chips and safe as houses, we're using pre-existing, well-established, widely available dirt cheap medications like vitamin D, which is the most important. Vitamin D3, zinc. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yes, with azithromycin and zinc. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you, you need to have monoclonal antibodies in there somewhere. But I mean, these are things that have been well-researched and well-established. I've done some quite wide reading in the medical scientific literature, and everything that was on Dr. McCulloch's list was something that I'd read about before. Ivermectin was one. Hydroxychloroquine, which was is another one. Let me come back in. Let me come back in, because this is really important. This is really important. Let me come back in. Now, we're, we're on familiar ground here. We're, we're on safe ground. We, we, we disagree about the death figures and all of that, but we're on, we're on ground where we agree now. Dr. Tess Laurie came on this programme. She's researched drugs for the World Health Organisation. She said, Richie, ivermectin is great. She explained it very, um, in a way that a lay person could understand the work that was done on ivermectin. I've interviewed Irish general practitioners who have ultimately lost their jobs, Christopher, because they wanted to use ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. The US FDA as you well know, okay, responsible for determining which medications are licensed and which ones are not licensed. They've come out in the last 36 hours and said that ivermectin can be fatal if used to treat COVID and people shouldn't do it. Now, th this is what I don't understand. You told me something I know to be true. 
all the research has already been done, ivermectin is safe. Why are they dismissing the drug? You're going to tell me it's because they're silly and they've got bad advisors. I see a conspiracy. I see something darker going on. What's going on? The thing is, what I try to do is to enlarge the realm of the possible in ministers' minds. At the moment, they are wedded to the vaccine and nothing but the vaccine, and that is failing. They now know it's failing. So they're doubling down on it because they've got nothing else to think of. What I'm going to do is give them something else to, to, to think of. And the great thing about a staged protocol which uses many different medications is that even if they succeed in knocking out one of those medications because they think it's dangerous, and you know I haven't yet read in detail the FDA's uh, finding, I need to know why they think that. You know, I'm not just going to start by saying it's a conspiracy. I'm going to start by saying the FDA ought not to have said that unless they had hard evidence that it was the case yeah. and that the fatalities would exceed by a sufficiently large margin the benefits from taking ivermectin. So the great thing about this this stage protocol that Dr. McCulloch has come up with, and he's very, very expert in these fields, we're not dealing with some numpty here, uh, is that it has many different medications in it. And so that even if they knock out the, the ivermectin, well, then you can use the hydroxychloroquine, which is very widely used around the world. But doctors are terrified to use it. Without my doctor's advice. But if the doctor says, yeah, you can use that, then you can have that in your protocol. But the point is that with that protocol, with lots of different things in it, uh, you have a very good chance of resist of reducing the severe outcomes that are the big problem with this thing. And in fact, on Dr. McCulloch's figures, he's actually done a trial of this, of his protocol, and it reduces uh, bad outcomes like transfer to ICU and death by five sixths. Now, the vaccine itself um, you know, does achieve that kind of thing. But here is a cheaper alternative method for those who can't or won't be vaccinated. My own advice is that unless you've already had the thing, you might as well get vaccinated because it's one more weapon against all this. But if you don't want to be compelled to be vaccinated, then it is in your own interest to get a copy of this treatment protocol and I'll, I'll send it to you, Richie. Do and, I, and I'll, I'll put it on my website. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions. Cause we, we so the people can then take it to their doctor and say, and, look. And, say, and the doctor I will say, I can't because I'll be struck off. Let me ask you this. We've only got about so 12 can, minutes left. All of these are pre-existing medications and there's a general right. It's called the officinal formula which very few doctors seem to know about these days. But I had a big row with the Medicines Research Agency a few years ago about this, when, as a result of my climate change work, a communist in Australia complained to the British Medical Research Agency that I had been going around um, doing clinical trials on people without having permission. Now, this was just totally made up. It was just another way of them trying to shut me down because I was proving effective against the climate So I, in the end, had a long ding dong with these wretches at the medical research agency. And they said, oh, we're going to have to prosecute and this and that, the other. I said, no, I will be prosecuting you if you interfere any further. First of all, I'm not recommending any drug to anybody. I said, I have a perfectly well-qualified surgeon who, in fact, now is is the chief medical research doctor for the US, for the Australian government. 
he was headhunted. And um, he, he does all the, the, the uh, trying this out on patients. And you have to try it out on a few patients to have enough information so that you can drop the protocols for a clinical And we trial. know that the That's protocols, the right, we, we know so it's all I been done. Yeah. And, I, I, look, and, I'm mindful of time, Chris. I'm mindful of time because we're, we're, we're going, we're, we're, we're running over time. There are a couple of things I want to mention to you. And yeah. I, will, I will give you plenty of time to respond. So please don't interrupt me for 30 seconds. A couple of things. On the death, I want to go back to the death numbers because we've got nearly 250,000 people listening to this. On my website already, we've had nearly uh, 500 comments on this. People are pointing out that the death numbers that, that you mentioned earlier on must, not that you're exaggerating them, but the numbers themselves have been exaggerated by the National Health Service and the government because people who died of other things were labelled as COVID deaths and we don't even know that they were infected with COVID at the time. That's the truth. And the second thing I want to put to you, and this is very important, I'm a, a journalist. I don't have any qualifications in medicine. I know nothing about medicine. I've interviewed two learned gentlemen, one from Harvard University called Martin Kulldorff, another epidemiologist from Germany called Sucharit Bhakti. They are very concerned about the safety of the, particularly the mRNA vaccines. And they've told me on this programme, and these guys are Ivy League professors, and they've been banned by the media, Christopher, because they believe that the mRNA technology will, 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 will basically give the immune system a message Okay, so that when it encounters coronaviruses in the future, it will deal with them. But these guys are telling anybody who listen that what it might do, what these vaccines might do for some people is cause their immune system using spike proteins to prime itself in such a way that when it encounters a virus in the future, the immune system will attack itself and begin to attack the organs of the body. There are questions to be asked, or answered even about the safety of these vaccines. And that's according to at least two. I could mention Professor Dolores Cahill from University College Dublin in Ireland. They say that these mRNA vaccines might end up causing some people's immune systems to ultimately attack the body and destroy them. And nobody's talking about that either. Is that something you've heard or come across? I have come across this. Um, in fun enough, it was a, a 19-year-old teenager in Germany who had been studying this, who drew my attention to it. Um, and I had a look at some of her sources, and there is something in it. And yeah. here again, it's a balance to be struck between the risk that something like that goes wrong and the knowledge that if you don't do the vaccines, then before they had developed a protocol that didn't need the vaccines, there would have been a lot more deaths than there were. And you have to do that trade-off. It's no good just being conspiracy theorists and saying, oh, well, the vaccines are all a great big plot. And if we didn't have the vaccines, it would all be fine. It wouldn't. We'd have had a lot more deaths. I mean, the, the estimate, and I don't think it's wrong, is there would have been another 60,000 deaths in the UK alone without the vaccines. And the number of deaths because of the vaccines is a very, very tiny fraction of that. So that's the that balance we know of. there. But the more important point is that if you don't like the idea of the vaccine, then you need to take advantage of the staged 
protocol for taking standard pre-existing medicines, which even if they're used off-label, the doctor is entitled to prescribe them, those that need to be prescribed, under the officinal formula that I was just explaining. He has the right to do that. No medical authority has the right to tell him not to. Yeah. So that's what they're that doing, though. Doctors have much more rights than the National Health Service would like to admit. But the important thing I'd like to say is that one of the things I did, and I did this just last week, was to try to work out why it was that this country in Britain, which is one of the most advanced health systems in the world, should have ended up with something like, um, you know, 0.25 percent of its population already killed by COVID, supposing the government figures are broadly correct, which I think they broadly are. I um, don't. If that's the case, then the question is why? Now, there was a very remarkable graph in July of new cases. It went roaring up until the 17th of July and then came sharply back down again. And there was no change in policy on the 17th of July that would have led to that. Indeed, the only change of policy on a date near them was the 19th of July, when a lot of restrictions were lifted, which should have led to more cases, if anything. And yet the cases fell. The question was why? So I got hold of the sunshine records for, 20, for 33 uh, weather stations. And I discovered that, sure enough, uh, just running up to the 17th of July and for several days thereafter, there was an exceptionally large amount of sunshine. Sweltered. With very yeah. warm temperatures in That's the right. UK. And bingo, the number of new cases per day went plummeting. There is clearly a connection between the vitamin D that you get if you get sunshine on your skin or you can get it in pill form and it works nearly as well and the number of new cases. So the most important advice I'd give to those who perhaps don't want the vaccine or even if they'd had it, want to boost their resistance to getting infected and getting bad outcomes from this virus is make sure that you take four or five thousand international units, that's 100 to 125 micrograms of vitamin D in the form of cholecalciferol yeah. every day. And you can buy this over the counter and the maximum safe dose is around the, the top end of the figures I've just given you. And of course, do this having first consulted your doctor. Don't take medical advice from me. But I do this. My lovely wife does it. We've now got all our families doing it as well, as a result of which we're all very resistant to getting bad outcomes from COVID. Absolutely. That, of all the medications that's been tested, has proven to be the most efficacious. But the reason why this hasn't always shown up in the scientific papers is that the NHS, which is as wrong about this as about so many other things on its website, recommends only a tiny dose of 100 international units. I mean, a minute dose. And they must know better. Day, so why? Which is not enough to make a real difference. You have to take a large enough dose to overcome the terrible lack of sunshine that is normally the case in this country, where we get 30% less sunshine even than Sweden. And yeah, of course, that's, that's right, the yeah. reason why the black people have been getting it so much worse than we have, because their skins 
have this black pigment which deters the manufacture of vitamin D and they need that deterrence in Africa because there the sun is very hot and they'd get too much vitamin D otherwise it would damage their kidneys. But when they come north to our climates here, they become very deficient in vitamin D. They're twice as deficient in vitamin D as we are and the average British is 40% of, of, of British whites are deficient in vitamin D, 83% of blacks. So vitamin D from all these different tests I've done appears to be the major moderator. And the exciting thing about it is that it's not just for COVID, it's for all respiratory diseases. All respiratory diseases. Colds and flu. Let me just wrap it up here. I, I'm, going, I'm going to do a 45 second summing up of where I am. And then I'm going to ask you to do the same. And if you go right. over, because you're a politician and you could talk for England, I'm going to cut you off after 45 seconds, Lord Moncton. So here, okay. I'm going to give you my position. Everything you've said about the other treatments, I agree with. Um, I'm delighted that you are steadfastly opposed to what I consider, be, consider to be tyranny. Uh, era papier, I, I love all that. Here's where I am. And remember, you'll get your 45 seconds. I've, I'm going to sum it up very briefly. I do not believe that anywhere near 170,000 people have died of COVID. I've outlined my reasons for it. Uh, the PCR test is unreliable. Uh, too many people died of other things. They were labelled as COVID. And, uh, of of course, um, we... we, we uh, we, we, well, I mentioned a PCR test. The vaccines I'm very concerned about. I said that already. Let people do what they want to do. If people want to have them, they should have them. Uh, I've chosen not to have it because I don't trust it based on the professors I've listened to. Um, I believe ultimately that where this is, what, what this is really all about, and I don't deny COVID. I just don't believe it's killed anywhere near 100,000 people, let alone 170,000. I think this is an opportunity is being grabbed, Christopher. By, by, the, by the types of people who wanted ultimately to sell the country out to the European Union many, many years ago. People that would exert control over every aspect of our lives. They've taken the virus, they've taken advantage of it, and that's what they're doing. It sounds like conspiracy theory, but it's how I feel. Over to you, I'll give you 60 seconds and then I've got to move on. And thanks for coming on. Well, it's been a pleasure, as always. Uh, what I would say is on the numbers, as I've said, it doesn't actually matter whether it's COVID or another respiratory disease. The number of deaths from respiratory disease is at least 170,000 over the last 19 months, which is about double the rate that it would normally be. And COVID is the likely reason why that rate has doubled. And we don't need to know in, in that case exactly how many of those were COVID and how many were other respiratory diseases. And if you want to get rid of respiratory diseases, the most effective thing to do is to ignore the NHS advice to have only a tiny additional daily dose of vitamin D in tablet form, but instead have a proper dose of four or five thousand international units, 100 to 125 micrograms of cholecalciferol vitamin D3. It's a dirt cheap. You can buy a year's supply for about 20 quid on the internet, but check with your doctor first in case you have kidney problems or other things that might militate against it. But otherwise, vitamin D is cheap as chips, safe as houses. And my research indicates that there is a very direct link between the lack of sunshine and the very high incidence of COVID and other respiratory Brilliant. diseases. 15 seconds, UK. 15 seconds. So, so the benefit of following the treatment protocol, which you'll be able to download from Richie's site once I've sent it to him, Brilliant. is if you follow it, and in particular, follow my separate advice about vitamin D, then in this country, you will be able to get rid not only of COVID, but of colds, flu, 
pneumonia and other respiratory diseases and actually reduce in future the number of deaths we get from Amen to that. COVID, but all those other diseases too. And that's the constructive approach that I think we should take and I will be taking with ministers shortly. Great to speak with you, Christopher. Do us a favour. We never got into climate change. In a couple of weeks' time, if you've got uh, 40 minutes, let's talk exclusively about where they want to take this climate agenda. It, it, obviously, it's very uh, per- pertinent now with COP20, whatever, in Glasgow, uh, looming large. So let's do that with, um, with, with your permission. Uh, I want my listeners to hear you. You're an expert on uh, the climate science and debunking it and it's important we talk about that. Thanks for your time today. Loved having you on. It's great to have the back and forth. Thanks a lot. Marvellous. We'll do that again, as you say, in a couple of weeks. All the best. Thanks, Christopher. Uh, Christopher Moncton, Lord Moncton of Brenchley, live on the Richie Allen radio show this Thursday. Mindful of time here now, because I've got Rima Label looming in, not looming, but she's uh, in the background there waiting to come on back in a minute. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible. Yes! Pitch is not that great. Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old. We've had loads of experience and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk Alrighty. The Richie Allen Show is the world's most listened to independent news radio show. All episodes are archived at richieallen.podomatic.com. Welcome back. It's exactly two minutes past six. It is Thursday's programme. It is the BBG with you. Let me read a couple of comments. Hermione says, come on, Richie, challenge this guy. Alleged existence of COVID based on what? Well, do you have any evidence that COVID doesn't exist, Hermione? I'm not saying that it does or doesn't. I'm open-minded to it. You know, I don't know. Kevin's, uh, not Kevin, Darren says, fair play to your professionalism, Richie, as a true journalist, wow, uh, to allow him to state his case, but he should have been correct or challenged regarding how the supposed cases were rising and what was causing the propaganda to infiltrate the MSM. I did challenge him, Darren. I challenged him. I I laid it out on the line. Uh, The death figures are preposterous. The, you know, tens of thousands of people given a COVID death cert when they died of something else entirely within 28 days of a positive test. I mentioned the PCR testing. I can't do any more than that, you know. Short of shouting at him, which I don't do, that's for Piers Morgan and pretend journalists. Uh, it was a good back and forth. He's an interesting guy. It's Christopher Moncton. Uh, Craig says Kerry Mullis had some interesting things to say about the diagnosis of HIV using his PCR research tool. He did indeed. Not too much time to be getting into that, but yes. And he says this guy isn't comparing apples with apples. We never tested in the way we have tested for SARS-CoV-2 before. Had we done that for, for example, flu, then the number of flu deaths would have gone through the roof every year had we done so, and then listed their death as flu if it happened within 28 days of the test. That's an excellent point, Andy. It's a very, very good point. Indeed. Faisal says, but it's not respiratory diseases if it's a COVID diagnosis. It could be a heart attack or motorcycle accident, Mr. Moncton. And that's what Christopher Moncton didn't understand of, 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 of what I was saying to him. He said it doesn't matter. Look at the death numbers. It doesn't matter, he said. Look at the death numbers. So it doesn't matter. COVID played some part. But that's not true when you take into consideration what I 
mentioned in the conversation about the bizarre disappearance of flu. Of course it matters. Absolutely matters. When people die of, of, a, of a heart attack or because they were they had a stroke or they had high blood pressure or something. And then prior to them dying or just after they've died, you give them a dodgy PCR test and it comes back positive. And then you list them as having died with COVID. Of course it matters. The death numbers are preposterous. Preposterous. If COVID is real and Hermione doesn't believe it is, I'm prepared to believe that it is, that the virus is real. Prepared to believe it. I'm not trying to sell that to anybody. I'm just saying, taking it, and this thing that it's not being isolated, there are a number of, uh, of people who, 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 who've challenged that notion that it hasn't been isolated and, and all of that. Look, I'm going to uh, swiftly um, play a tune for you. And when we come back, Dr. Rima Labo will be live with me from the US West Coast. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Now it's coming up for eight minutes past the hour. Let's get Rima Labo, Dr. Rima Labo on the programme. Let's uh, get a... Let's get into this. Uh, the big story this coming out of the FDA Ivermectin. Dr. Rima Labo, great friend of mine, many years, graced this program for many, many years. The medical director, the director of the Natural uh, Healing uh, Foundation. Let's uh, get her back on. Uh, live from America's Hi. West Coast. How are you, Dr. <laughs> Rima Labo? I'm fine. It's the Natural I know. Solutions I'm Foundation. Useless. I'm useless. Can the, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you loud and clear. That's right. The Natural Great. Solutions Foundation. Uh, so, ex- excuse me. Pardon me for, for getting that wrong. I've only said it a thousand times over the years. <laughs> I don't know why. There's so much to talk about. I, I can't not start with... Just before I took my holiday, Mayor Bill de Blasio in New York City said something. We've heard it here, but it, it wasn't as... As, as blatant here, but, but it's getting very serious here. He said that, you, you know, New Yorkers better wake up to the reality that unless they get jabbed against COVID, they won't be participating in society. Now, I know that you and others like you, not too many like you, but others, I know that you've seen this coming down the, the, the railway tracks and you've talked about it for many years, but even you must have been startled to hear this guy say this on live television listen if you don't take the medicine we want to give you you don't get to play you don't get to socialize you don't get to do what you want we're in serious soup here aren't we we're in terribly serious soup and i was in no way surprised these people are uh the roboticized puppets of a system that they have sold their souls to for one in one way or another um, and they have uh, become the purveyors of the Jonestown Kool-Aid for, uh, for those of us whom they wish to um, yoke into a tyranny that is irrational and lethal. 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 And, you know, we're waiting for an organization called the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization. To, to rule on whether children aged 12 and above should have the jab. And I know they've been jabbing 
children aged 12 and older in the States. I know that. And they're still pushing this, despite today. Now, I don't know if you will have heard this because it's early where you are. But the, the Imperial College London, excuse me, University College London, published a study yesterday, which is groundbreaking, Rima. They admitted that the threat of so-called long COVID, where somebody displays symptoms many, many months after coming down with COVID, they admitted yesterday that it's been greatly exaggerated, that it doesn't really exist and that children don't get it. And yet here they are desperate to get these jabs into the arms of of our children. What about this long COVID stuff? Let's be clear. The entire COVID narrative is a web of disinformation. And the best disinformation has some truth and a lot of untruth. So let's let's sort this out very quickly and very clearly, Richie. Uh, COVID is a non-existent virus. The spike protein is a very, very real threat. And it is a bioweapon, which was created, as we now know, in collaboration by the United States government, the Canadian government, uh, the Chinese government. They created a weaponized protein, um, uh, complex protein molecule. The symptoms of COVID are the symptoms of graphene oxide poisoning. They are also the symptoms of the damage caused by the spike protein. They are also the the symptoms of uh, the damage caused by the hydrogel that is being injected. Now, you may say, but there were symptoms of COVID and there was uh, a COVID um, uh, case demic before there were the vaccines available. Let's be clear. The first of these vaccines was patented in 2014. Uh, that was a year before the first patents on the, the spike protein as we know it now. The patent on that vaccine was by the Perbright Institute, which is a Gates Foundation subsidiary. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking about and the, the PCR test kits, because every PCR test requires a kit uh, that's used in the testing. The PCR test kits for COVID-19 explicitly and specifically began to be sold in the tens and hundreds of millions. We have the bills of lading and international shipment documents in 2017. So this has been a long planned, highly organized program that has nothing to do with the disease. If you look at the United States mortality records, you'll see that during the year when supposedly there was this pandemic of people dying, 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 dying from this novel um, virus that supposedly was attacking us out of God knows where, if if you look at the mortality statistics, you see that the increase in mortality from 2000 Uh, 19 to 2020 was 77,000 people. Well, we also had a larger population. So the the statistics of mortality don't support that there was a pandemic. That's because there isn't a pandemic. There's a propagandemic. There's a case-demic. 
We all know about the PCR tests being wildly fraudulent, totally uh, inaccurate. So what is a COVID case? A COVID case is anything, but really a COVID case is the damage caused by the graphene oxide. Well, where did the graphene oxide come from? The masks. The masks were impregnated with graphene oxide. Where did the um, uh, graphene oxide come from? The tests, the, the nose um, uh, invasion tests put graphene oxide directly on the cribriform plate at the top of the nose, which is the closest approach to the brain that you can make without actually opening up the skull. Uh, we're talking about people who were impregnated with something that would make them look sick. And then we had the whole political theater of all the rest of it. And we know this from people like David Martin in his uh, uh, testimony with Reiner Fulmich. We know from uh, Brian Artis's testimony with Reiner Fulmich again um, that the uh, remdesivir treatment, which was the only thing that the FDA in the United States was allowing. And unfortunately, many countries follow the Center for Disease Creation and the Fraud and Death Administration of the United States. We know that remdesivir caused the symptoms of both long COVID for those who survived and the symptoms of uh, death, the, the ways in which people were dying supposedly from COVID. We know that the ventilators were set wrong to create deaths, and they still couldn't come up with the appropriate number of deaths, so they simply lied. What they're also lying about is what the vaccine, quote, quote, it's not a vaccine, what the jab is doing to people, and what the jab is doing to people is killing them in large numbers. As of a couple of days ago, we had 13,000 deaths reported in the voluntary reporting system called VAERS in the United States. Is it 13,000 now, Rima? Is it 13,000? That is a huge number. Wait, wait, it's not 13,000. Generally speaking, you can multiply the VAERS results or the VAERS reports, I should say, by a minimum of 10. Maybe it's 20, maybe it's 100, but let's be conservative and let's multiply it by a minimum of 10 because when people die after taking the vaccine, first of all, not everybody reports it by a huge margin. Second of all, doctors are being trained and coerced and uh, Uh, in many cases, forced to deny to patients that it had anything to do with the vaccine. So why would the doctor report it? Why would the patient report it? So we know that the underreporting is tremendous in these voluntary reporting systems like like the EU yellow card. card. Yeah, that's the UK. And so so we know that if it's 13,000 that have been reported, then we can assume that it's a minimum of 130,000, I think it's probably closer to half a million or more in the United States who have died not from uh, a mythical disease, but from the, the jabs themselves. But wait, there's more. May I give you the new, the new news, Richie? Go ahead. First of all, we know that uh, earlier this week, Israeli, uh, I'm sorry, late last week, uh, Israeli data was uh, revealed by eminent scientists 
which showed that people who had community immunity, that is, they acquired some kind of uh, contact with this um, uh, with this pathogen, and there is a pathogen, it's the spike protein. And when that happened, they were 27 times better protected than people who had been jabbed. 27 times. Okay. That's, That's right. a That's pretty I read that. significant level yeah. of protection. So we know that community immunity is far more effective. And that's what pathogens do throughout history. We encounter something that the immune system hasn't met before. Some people succumb to it or have serious symptoms from it. And then the pathogen evolves and becomes more transmissible and less disease producing. And our immune system evolves to render the pathogen less uh, less harmful to us, and that's what's happening. The Israelis admitted protein. this. Let, but, let, let me put this to you because this, this I can't get my head around this. I'm certainly not as bright as you. You can help me out here. In recent weeks, the mainstream media, I hate to admit this, has kind of done its job. National newspapers in this country blew the whistle on the fact that at least one third of people who were listed as being in hospital with COVID were not. They were in hospital with something else. Massive revelation. Uh, the Israeli stuff that you've just alluded to there, massive bombshell stuff. Now you oh, have... Can, can I just ahead. say this? Can I just say this? Yes, now, yes, now University College London comes out and says that long COVID is a nonsense and that children and, you know, pretty much everybody else are, are not susceptible to long illness, long after they've had COVID. Why are they allowing this stuff to get out there, which is basically debunking their own story? I can't get my head around that. Um, mystery. I don't know yeah. what their playbook says for this particular point in their disinformation campaign. But it's possible it is possible that there is leakage that some people are somehow waking up and they're not under as tight control as we might imagine that they are, or they're allowing a little bit of the story out and then they'll come smashing down with some new cataclysm that forces us uh, yeah. back into a state of terror and fear. I have another piece of the story, though, that I'm very eager to share because the Israeli data uh, is background for what I'm about to say. Uh, yesterday, I was sent a new paper that has just come out with a Chinese team. And if you go to opensourcetruth.com, our news aggregation site, you will find the story there in detail with, with a link to uh, this scientific paper. And the paper says what I have been saying for uh, well over a year now. We know that when you are jabbed with either the DNA vaccines, that's the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson vaccines that directly change your DNA, or with the mRNA vaccines, that's the Pfizer, BioNTech, and Moderna. Uh, and by the way, among the shareholders of Moderna is Pfizer, 
I assume yeah. that among the shareholders of Pfizer is Moderna. But anyway, and Fauci's in there right up to his eyeballs. But anyhow, the, the point is that the paper says what I have been uh, saying because it had to be. It, it only makes sense based on the physiology. Once you turn your body into a spike protein factory, and as far as we know, that will go on forever, uh, the spike protein itself, we now know, causes the symptoms that we call COVID, um, causes the blood clots, causes the damage to the sensitive lining, the delicate lining of the, um, the arteries and capillaries, endothelial damage. Well, it turns out that your body is making antibodies to this foreign protein which happens to have four strands of DNA from the uh, HIV-1 virus and which happens to have a strand of protein from the SARS um, virus, which happens to have um, protein from the malaria parasite. It's a very, very non-natural, uh, non unnatural protein. But the spike protein is now being replicated by your body in every cell of your body forever and ever. Well, it turns out that your body is making antibodies to this foreign protein. And at least two of the antibodies that your body is making are themselves so pathogenic, so disease-inducing, that they induce tissue damage, autoimmune immune disease, Damage to the immature cells of a fetus, profound damage. Maternal death after uh, delivering the fetus, uh, stillborn or alive. It induces um, these two antibodies plus the spike protein enter the cells and create uh, a death of the fetus and spontaneous abortion, heart disease, kidney disease, lung disease, brain disease, liver disease, every cell in your body is damaged by the spike protein and by the two antibodies that your body will go on producing until your immune system ultimately collapses and you die of a cytokine storm, an autoimmune disease or tissue organ failure based on the damage caused by the spike protein that you've either been contaminated with from somebody who has been injected or have been foolish enough to accept into your own body. So not only the spike protein, but the antibodies to the spike protein are the death shot. And you're listening to a GP, a general practitioner, an MD, Dr. Rima Labo. It's Actually, I'm I'm not a GP. Not anymore, no. But 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 no, but I know I'm you have been. I'm a psychiatrist. I'm trained in psychiatry, but my practice, uh, my clinical practice, morphed into what I called cataclysmic primary care, so that people who had no help, no hope, uh, would come to me, and I would do things without pharmaceuticals, and by and large, they would get well. But my actual 
postgraduate training where she is in psychiatry, and I am an MD. Thanks for correcting me. I should say MD, not GP. That's right. And uh, you are the medical director of the Natural Solutions Foundation. Dr. Rima Labo is our guest. Now, yeah, and you've talked us through this before, and I mentioned to my previous guest, Christopher Moncton, who, who would agree with you and me that people should not be coerced into taking a vaccine. He was honest enough to admit, this is a guy who used to advise the Conservative Party. He's a former leader of UKIP. He was honest enough to admit that he'd heard about the spike protein uh, danger, the cytokine storms that, that, that you mentioned there, how the mRNA jabs could cause the body's immune system to turn against the body. He was honest enough to admit that he'd heard that. I put it to him, look, I've had people on this programme like Bakhti, like Kuldorf, like others from the Ivy League universities, Dolores Cahill, who said this is a real thing, yourself, obviously. And fair play to him, he took it on board. But ultimately, he would be with us in don't force people to have jabs ever. He talked about vitamin D3 and zinc and ivermectin. We'll come to that in a few moments. And, you know, don't introduce tyrannical lockdowns. Don't do any of that stuff. But a lot of guys like like him, I think, you know, establishment figures, I think like him, for them, and I'm putting thoughts in his head that he might not have. Maybe I shouldn't do this. But a lot of people I meet who are bright, when they hear this, even when it comes from somebody as experienced and as eloquent as yourself, it sounds so unimaginably evil, like something that Edgar Allan Poe would have dreamed up. They can't get their heads around it. And I, I understand that. Because when I listen to you, I've known you for years, and I believe that you believe this, otherwise you wouldn't be here. But I know that there's something in what you're saying because other esteemed people, as I've already said, believe this. But yet for the majority, it's like, well, they couldn't do that, could they? they? They couldn't induce us into taking a medicine if they knew that it would be catastrophic for many millions of us. We keep coming back to that, don't we? How, how do you persuade somebody to listen to this? You know, I just wrote... Um I just wrote a little article about that yesterday, and it was published in uh, our newsletter. Um, the newsletter carried the subject yesterday, busted, COVID-19 jab trains the body to destroy itself. And I was talking about the article that I've just uh, been discussing yeah. now. But one of the things that I said in there I think is directly relevant to what you're asking, Richie. I said that five or six years ago, I read a New York Times article touting the glories of the next generation of vaccines, the ones that would be mRNA vaccines and DNA vaccines that would go into your body and change your genetics. And make no mistake, the mRNA vaccines do change your genetics. Uh, they're patented as gene therapies, and through something called reverse transcriptase, the mRNA information is taken into your DNA. We've talked about that perhaps before. But the point is that uh, I said, what could possibly not go wrong? This is five or six years ago. We don't understand very much about the immune system, and we don't understand very much about genetics. And here we are tinkering permanently and forever with the 
immune system and with the, uh, uh, the genetics that make us human and playing around with them. And we think that we can get away with this in some sort of therapeutic um, uh, fashion and not pay the piper. I said, this is a horrible idea. And I wrote that. But it never occurred to me. And at that time, I was well aware of the genocidal agenda. I was well aside, uh, well aware of the fact that uh, the, the depopulationist forces were deeply embedded in government and economics and uh, 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 media and so on. So I was well aware of all of that information that a lot of people have trouble wrapping their minds around. And I did not connect those two dots because I was still acting on the presumption of normalcy that says medicine, science, research is about helping people. It yeah, may be yeah. misguided. It may be stupid. It may be short-sighted. It may be mad scientist driven, but it is really about helping people. So this is a cataclysmic error, but I didn't see the connection that this was a cataclysmic intention, not a cataclysmic error. And if I missed it, and as uh, and I'm as uh, uh, au courant on the globalist destruction agenda as most people could be, because after all, I closed my practice of medicine in 2004 to take on the globalist yeah. depopulation agenda. Back when even saying the word depopulation made you a nut job. Yeah, that's if right. I missed it, I can understand easily how most people who are not awake to the fact that there is a war on their very humanity are going to say, oh, no, 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 no. I can't even wrap my little mind yeah. around that because it's too horrible to contemplate. That is one of the shields, one of the protections that these globalist beasts use that the rest of us are decent human beings and cannot give credit to such indecency, such inhumanity. It's a brilliant explanation. When I was fortunate enough to speak with your late great husband, General Bert Stubblebine, uh, a few years ago, uh, God have mercy on Bert, great gentleman, I don't need to tell you that, we talked about some of the projects that Bert was witness to and that he blew the whistle on. And he spoke very eloquently about compartmentalisation and how you can get good people to advance an agenda like these jabs, these mRNA and DNA jabs. And thinking back to that chat with Bert, Rima, I'm mindful of the fact that many of the people beavering away in the laboratories that are funded by Gates and others they're probably decent people and on some they level they think, people. yeah, they think I'm doing good here. I'm doing good for humanity. They are decent, deceived people. Yeah. They yeah. have, they have, let's, let's be clear. When you go through an education system and you rise up in it, you do so because you buy into the premises that the education system presents to you as foundational and you don't struggle with those. You may have independent ideas about this or that, but you buy into the premises. When you, uh, when you have a medical education or an education as a, uh, a biochemical researcher or a uh, genetic researcher or whatever, or you're a WHO uh, 
environmental scientist or a food and agricultural organization, agriculturalist, you believe that you're doing what is right. You believe that you're doing what is uh, sensible. You believe that you're doing what is rooted in science and you buy into the premises enough to rise in the system. If you don't buy into the premises, you will come a cropper and the system will eject you or you will leave on your own like um, so many, like the two scientists, the two uh, top vaccine regulators who just resigned from the FDA yesterday because what is happening, the, the vaccine safety of these jabs is so antithetical to them and is being driven politically instead of being driven scientifically, they could no longer take the the disconnect between what they know to be right and what they're being told is right. And so they resigned. And that was a heroic act on both their parts. But now we've lost even their voices inside the system. So the people who are inside the system uh, laboring away, the worker bees, um, are basically decent people. But they are the, the dupes of the indecent people at the top. My husband rose to the rank of major general in the United States Army, believing in the system, being willing to give his life for the system, putting himself in harm's way by insisting on going into the war in Vietnam when he had, um, he was a professor at West Point and could have been excused from going into a war zone. But he fought to get there because he believed so deeply that that was what was right and proper. Years later, after he and I met, after he and I um, became um, the devoted um, uh, couple that we were uh, and continue to be, um, he realized that he had been duped. He was the son of a West Point graduate who had also been duped. He was a West Point graduate and he had drunk the Kool-Aid. And then when he, his eyes opened and he saw what he had drunk and the lies that the whole premise system was based upon, he had what must be called a dark night of the soul as he was devastated because everything in his world that he had trusted to be real and true and worth dying for, living and working for, turned out to be a well-constructed pack of lies. Now, most people cannot, cannot fathom that their entire world or their worldview is based on a falsely constructed pack of lies. But the fact is, the globalists have decided that it's time to cull us. And that means kill and enslave us. And if that's too, too hard for your tender little brain, you will die. If it's too hard for your tender little brain to understand that these globalists want to make your children sterile or kill them, then your children will be made sterile or they will die or they will eventually die from the shot after they have been rendered sterile. Uh, if you really are too, too delicate and too fragile to open your mind to the possibility that if we're right, it's a huge tragedy that's being foisted upon us, a crime beyond any that humanity has never known. If that's too hard for you, you're, you're already dead. You just don't know it. You don't know it. 
On the FDA, Dr. Marion Gruber, uh, the outgoing director of the FDA's Office of Vaccines Research and Review, she and her deputy, Dr. Philip Krauss, announced their plans to leave the FDA in October and November. Now, the mainstream media is reporting that no official reason has been given for their departures. But as you alluded to a moment ago, Rima, there have been a couple of leaks. They're very unimpressed with the plans to roll out booster jabs for people. And that's very interesting. And I wonder, is pressure being brought to bear on Gruber and Krauss, who are resigning from the FDA, not to speak about why they are concerned about booster jabs? Because we're hearing a lot about booster jabs here as well. In this country. You know, Canada has 33 million people currently. It's a small country. It's large in land. It's small in population. Canada has 33 million people. The Canadian government just bought 238 million jabs. Yeah. Pfizer jabs. Now, if you divide 33 into 238 million, 33 million into 238 million, you see that the Canadian government... Eight jobs per person. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Now, that's rather interesting. It's actually more jabs than that because people are starting to die from the jabs. So the ratio of jabs or the number of jabs per person goes up as the number of living people goes down. Now, the EU has done the same thing to be delivered from 2023 to 25. The EU has purchased some uh, three and a half billion jabs um, for a population of uh, uh, a couple of hundred million. Uh, give or take. Million yeah, a couple of hundred, yes. I think it is. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. Yeah. So, how exactly, what does that say that this is, this has to do with a supposedly evolving um, threat? And let me say again, the Delta variant is nonsense. The FDA and the CDC admitted this week that they have no tests that can discriminate any variant. All the things that you're hearing about being tested for the Delta variant and all that, that's complete horsepucky. That makes absolutely no sense. It is gibberish. Gibberish. You know, can I just come in on that? Uh, Two things. One, you are right, 445 million in the European Union, that's the population of the EU, minus the 68 million uh, of the UK, because the UK left, so you're right, I was totally off with 200 million. So it makes no sense ordering all of those uh, doses. And you make a great point about how can they possibly identify variants when they haven't developed a specific test for the variant. Brilliant. Again, you would like to think that more people would ask that question of themselves, but but they don't. But I want to, because time flies when you and I speak, I want to stay with the development of these jabs. And you you talked about going back six, seven years ago when you became cognizant of articles in the press about the new, very exciting mRNA jabs. You, again, because you can't be everywhere, you're not God himself, Rima Labo. I know you keep your eyes on developments around the world, but we, we, we learned yesterday here in the United Kingdom that there is a new jab, a jab, mind, 
to be given twice annually to people who are at risk of high cholesterol. Now, many moons ago, when you first talked to me on this programme about mRNA technology, you were one of those who said that in the future, people will be given jabs for everything, these mRNA jabs. And this is this seems to me like we're at the beginning of something. Like we have the COVID jabs. Now here's a jab for for cholesterol and you should take it because if you don't and your cholesterol is high, you become a burden on society and a burden on hospitals. And they've already got lots of other jabs in development, jabs against hepatitis, jabs against oh, anything you can think of, jabs against obesity. They've got jabs for diabetes. And this is hugely important. This is a moving away from treating people when people become ill, although you would argue that they don't treat people, they just they push drugs on them. Um, they don't actually treat them. You treat people at the, Nat- the Natural Solutions Foundation. But, but, but is this what it's going to be like in the coming months and years? We will be offered a never-ending list of jabs to take for things. And woe betide us if we refuse them, because if we refuse them, yeah, go ahead. Let us make the incorrect assumption, Yeah, the incorrect assumption that it is beneficial to lower cholesterol. That is an incorrect assumption. Why? Most people think it is. Well, of course, most people think it is because that's been part of a huge, huge propaganda campaign. Your body requires cholesterol. It is a Uh, an essential substance, all of your steroid hormones, including testosterone and estrogen, are based on a, a cholesterol skeleton. If you reduce the amount of cholesterol, now you can sell drugs for erectile dysfunction. Yeah. Right yeah. <laughs> now, you can sell, you can do uh, in vitro fertilization for uh, infertile women. Right, um, if you fifty uh, percent of your brain is cholesterol. It is the insulation around the nerves. If you reduce the amount of cholesterol, now you have people who are depressed. You have people who are suicidal. You have people who have OCD. You have people who have. Of a, uh, dementia. You have people who have a, a whole variety of uh, neurological and mental and emotional disorders. Uh, and all of them, of course, uh, can be, quote, treated, end quote, with uh, drugs that are really just kind of trying to patch up the damage that's done from a lowered cholesterol. People who have a cholesterol of 150 or below have a vastly increased all-cause death rate, including suicide and accidents, because you're not thinking so well, you don't drive so well, you don't cross the street so well, you don't use knives so well. Um, Also, suicide is uh, part of the depression when the brain is not functioning particularly well. People who have a cholesterol under 100 have cataclysmic uh, biological and uh, uh, pathological responses. It's a boondoggle to make and keep people sick. It's a boondoggle to make and keep people docile, depressed, needy, and addicted to the alleged treatments of the system. If that sounds rather paranoid, well, it's actually what is being 
predict. And studies, there are studies that bear this out, right? That you, you've seen oh, absolutely. incredible I studies. I, yeah. I don't get this stuff from Ouija boards. No. This is science. <laughs> this is yeah. absolute real science. But, but let me ask you, let's assume for a moment that you need to have your cholesterol lowered. Let's assume for a moment that you need to have your diabetes uh, risk reduced by a vaccine. Let's, uh, let's admit, uh, let's, let's assume for a moment that all the things that they want to uh, do to prevent disease or control disease or whatever make some sort of sense. Let's give them that for the moment although we know that it's only for the sake of the discussion. What's in the vaccines? What's in the, I know what's on the labels. Yeah. You know what's on the labels. But right now, uh, Moderna's vaccines have been suspended in Japan because so many of the vials are magnetic. Uh, why are they magnetic? And two men, at least two men, uh, who have had autopsies, died in Japan after receiving the Moderna vaccine. Uh, and they found that there were small metallic particles in their bodies. Small metallic particles in your bodies are definitely not good for you. Um, graphene oxide apparently becomes metallic when it reaches body temperature, which probably explains why these um, these preparations were being uh, transported and stored at such phenomenally low temperatures. Um, graphene oxide is a poison. Graphene oxide is a receiver that integrates itself into the nervous system and becomes controllable by pulsed microwaves. You ever heard of 5G? Yeah. So the, the supposed uh, unreasonable theory that uh, or conspiracy theory, as it's uh, uh, said to be, that the 5G system, the Skynet system, etc., is designed to interact with what the vaccines put into you and control you is, in fact, fact. What's in the vaccines? Why? Now, it turns out that the body can actually degrade graphene oxide. We have an enzyme that will work on it. And that's why the booster shots need to be given every three, four, five, six months, not because of any disease, but because of the damage that, or because of the desire to control human beings through what's in the vaccines. Do you trust Pfizer, no. the company no. that has, has the largest um, uh, criminal fines ever yeah. assessed to any company? Do you They've trust all paid Moderna? billions, haven't they? They've all paid billions in fines. And, you know, when you dig down into that, and I've done it, and you look at the disgusting things they've done over the years, we're, we're talking things that they knew were, well, I shouldn't say they knew, they knew what they were doing. They would go to third world countries and they would test dangerous drugs on people and kill them. And they would pay people a pittance to take part in those trials and then they would try to cover it up. They would bury data from trials, from their own trials, they would bury data that suggested that they should basically burn the drugs and never inject them into people's arms ever again. They've been caught doing this for years. They bribed over doctors and over, and over, over and over and again. Over. All over the yeah. world. So do you trust your government? Do you trust their their agents, the pharmaceutical companies, or rather it's the other way around. The governments are the agents of the pharmaceutical companies. Do you yeah. really trust these people to be working for your welfare and tell you what should happen to your genes and to your immune system and your children's? Really? 
what what's wrong with you? You know what, Rima? This is really important, what you've just said there. By the way, Dr. Rima Labo can be found online at Dr. Rima. I've got the website here, truthreports.com. I've got that right, haven't I? I have. And, I've got it and here. And very important site, opensourcetruth.com. Yeah. And that's on Telegram as a chat called Open Source Truth. You've just touched on something really important there. Opensourcetruth.com, folks. Get on to it if you haven't before. The giveaway here is the coercion and the nastiness and the threats and the tone. That's the dead giveaway. If these people said, hey, look, we've developed this technology. We think it might help you, you know, avoid certain illnesses that might be harmful to you when you get older. Look, we have it. Take a look at it. And it's there if you want it. If you don't want it, don't worry about it. Don't bother your head about it. You've got a good immune system. Take the vitamin D3, take the zinc, take the magnesium, take the potassium supplements if you need them. Get out in the sunshine, blah, blah, blah. Look, we've got this stuff here. We think it might do some good. We'll never try to persuade you to have it. It's there if you want it. If this was the way they behaved, you know, you might meet them halfway and you might think, well, I'll have a look at that. But they come in gangbusters, don't they? They come in like SWAT through the window, threatening you to take away your children if you don't get your child jabbed, to take away your job if you don't get jabbed. Who could listen to that? You know, how could you take that seriously? But that's that's your lovely dog again in the background. Only only with, yes, yes, one of my two dogs, only with... uh, a huge and well-organized propaganda campaign. Yeah. Let me tell you a personal secret, Richie. I don't have a television. There are two reasons that I don't have a television. One is that I know that the digital televisions emit frequencies which have an impact, a behavioral and a physiological uh, uh, impact Intentionally, by the way, this is not just a, uh, a side effect of the digital television technology. This is These are uh, emitters. We've measured them and we've uh, measured the impact on, on human beings. But also, they are listening devices. And I know that I would forget to unplug it. And I don't want to be audited or um, uh, polluted. And I don't need the propaganda drumbeat. So I don't have a television. And you know what? I'm still alive. And I actually can think better than I would if I were being um, drummed at by the ceaseless propaganda. That's one thing. The second thing is, um, if I'm being told that in order to take part in society, I have to have a vaccine passport, which is insane because think about it. If the, if the vaccines work, then the, those who are vaccinated are protected and those who are not vaccinated are unprotected at their own risk. So you don't need a vaccine passport, but that's only logic and, and uh, rational thought. Sorry for introducing that, folks. Um, if I... I'm going to be barred from participating in society, then I will stay out of society until this madness passes. And if that means stocking up on food, um, long storage food, and making sure that I have the, uh, the supplies that I need uh, for my dogs, for my nutrients and so on, I will do that. I will take that 
um, that burden on myself rather than have the convenience of being able to move freely in a society that has been marked for death. That's a brilliant um, way to leave it today because it's how I feel. I don't have your medical expertise, but it's exactly how I'm prepared to to face up to it. I'm I'm not sad. I'm not scared. I'm I'm happy to accept that they're shaping the society the way they want. So long as they leave me alone and they don't demand that I turn up at a centre some morning to have the jab, I'm happy to go and live my life in in my own way with the people that I love. Rima, I love having you on. Thanks for giving us your your time uh, today. Go to opensourcetruths.com. Dr. Rima Truth Reports. Dr. Rima Truth Reports.com is another website, dr. Rima Truth Reports.com. Check it out. And uh, it's it's packed, those websites packed with documentation to support the claims that you've heard uh, Rima making today. Love having you on, Rima. Thanks so much for coming Thank on today. Thank you so much, Richie. And it won't be long before we hear from you again, no doubt. Thanks again to Dr. Rima Labo speaking to us live uh, this morning from uh, the US West Coast. And that's about it for the programme. Uh, thanks to uh, to you for all your comments. And for some reason, the comments only just loaded for me. I was refreshing the page again and again and again. And it, it kept telling me that the last comment was an hour ago. But now I'm seeing a lot of comments that, that, that have come in. Uh, Craig says, interesting conversation about cholesterol. My brain woke up after I stopped my statins. Uh, thank you. Uh, hi to Peter Kohler, how you doing, Peter? I do Fabrizio, who said reducing cholesterol in diet doesn't reduce systemic cholesterol production. Thanks very much. Column says your brain is cholesterol. Cheers, uh, Column. Uh, Hermione came back on to say, is it me or is Richie avoiding the facts? Uh, it's just you. I'm not inviting anything. Uh, this is an open source platform. We talk about everything on this program. Everything. Nothing is taboo here. Uh, as well you know, by the way. That's why the program is here. Look, uh, thanks uh, for listening this week. It's great to be back. Lovely to be back. Do join me on Sunday morning for Sunday Morning Melodies at 10 o'clock UK time. I love that program. I'm looking forward to doing it again this Sunday. After that, I'm back with the Richie Allen Radio Show proper this coming Monday at 5 o'clock UK time. Would you believe it? But would you Adam and Eve it? But Abba has only come out with some brand spanking new music. Yes, that is ABBA. Yes, that is Benny Bjorn, Frida and Anita. They're back. And apparently they're doing some sort of virtual tour. Maybe holograms, I have no idea. But they've got brand new music after 40 years or thereabouts. Brand new songs and two new singles that have been released ahead of a forthcoming brand new album. Will I say brand new again, will I? It must be exciting because it's ABBA. Here's a brand new track from ABBA. It's called I Still Have Faith in You. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm going to hear it now with you. Surely it will play for me. Don't call me Shirley. Will I try it again, will I? Because I might have ballsed up there. I did download it. Right, let's try it again. After such a build-up. Here's Abba, and I still have faith in you. Wow. Thanks to all my guests this week. Thanks to you. See you on Sunday at 10. Have a great weekend. From the BBG. I still have faith in you.